0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. There's been a lot of talk about the police. We're going to get to Eric Gerd in just a sec. I wanted you to hear this clip uh, because there's there's differing opinions about where we, we all know we need to go somewhere. I think that's pretty accurate. But Ward 5 Councillor Chad Collins said this about a campaign described, again, and I think it's a clunky phrase, as defund the police. Here's Chad Collins that less of a budget means less services on the street. It means less officers. It means less of the good things that were referenced earlier here in the in the, in the, in the agenda. When the, when the chief talked about the social navigator program, talked about our coast program, talked about our mobile rapid response uh, unit. You know, Those are the things that we've invested in. in a, and if someone's contemplating taking resources away, those are the types of programs that will be at risk. Yeah, it's it's not it's not inaccurate. It's quite true. As a matter of fact, we welcome in the Hamilton police chief, Eric Gert, uh, and we're taking calls with Eric uh, 905-645-3221 pound 9900. That's 905-645-3221. Chief Gert, thank you very much for making the time. I can't imagine uh, how busy uh, things are uh, given our current climate. So I appreciate the one hour with me today.
1: And thanks for uh, filling in as well, Greg.
0: So well, no problem. It. I'm a big fan of bills and was uh, and was happy they asked. Yeah, let, let let's go there right away. This the slogan, and you're seeing it. It's rising up from the states, and it's getting discussed here. Defund the police. What does that, you know, what what kind of nerves does that tick with you? Um, you've you've been a lifelong cop for three decades. What what what, what do you feel when you see that slogan?
1: Well, and, you know, Chad uh, hit the mark there in terms of programs we've done in Canada, uh, specifically in the Mobile Crisis Rapid Response Team, along with the Social Navigator and the Coast Program. They're all three discrete items under the Crisis Response Unit are a good example of where we've gone in Canadian policing to look at who else can surprise or supply the service to the, the people in crisis, people who... Uh, or not criminal, uh, but they just need either housing or, you know, addictions counselling. That's our social navigator program uh, where we stream people into existing resources. We're not providing the resource. That's why it's a navigator. We stream them to social agencies. But at the same time, and only because of, um, you know, their own difficulties, they phone 911 uh, with whatever the issue was, and that's why we developed this to take 911 calls off that were about the items I just described, and we stream people into that to get them assistance. As far as COAST is concerned, and again, remember this is on the death of Zachary Antidormi by a woman, and I won't name her, but uh, had, uh, you know, mental health issues. Um, So what could we have done better in terms of uh, supporting those with mental health issues? And that dates back, you know, uh, 25 years. Uh, So this is a novel. The last piece, and... uh, We were the first in Canada to do this as a mobile crisis rapid response team, which is, um, uh, you know, uh, practitioners who deal with mental health, nurses, along with our officer, responding to life-threatening calls, being either the person themselves through uh, suicidal ideation or otherwise, or to others. And we do know, and I just looked at calls this weekend, uh, many of those calls do involve edge weapons quite often. It could be a box cutter, a machete, Mm -hmm. uh, a knife. Um, broken piece of glass, uh, that's often, um, not always, but that presents itself. So when we get into this dialogue about, well, we'll just have um, the mental health worker go alone, there are still risk issues involved with that. So we've taken that kind of in a risk continuum. Social navigator, very low risk, not criminal. We don't want to stream people into criminality, whether yeah. it's tickets or otherwise. We want to get them the help that they need. So we use existing social agencies. COAST, we've teamed with Um, nurses back then to who were trained in mental health. MSERT, the the progression further, and it was the board that supported this. And I'll give you one piece of metrics, because we did all the measurement on this, and I know that those who are calling for defunding and policing also want to see the metrics and the results. That's fair. So when we did it with MSERT, our rate of apprehension by our frontline officers was around 75% of the time. So they will apprehend the person, take them to often St. Joe's, they're seen by a psychiatrist in many cases, um, and then they'll make a disposition, being the medicals, because that's their area of expertise, not ours. But we've seen a decrease from 75% to under 20% on a consistent basis since we implemented a number of years back. So let's just think about that when we're talking about um, whether it's the criminalization of those with mental health issues, the stigma, all those things. That means all those people are not going to St. Joe's, they're being streamed into other areas of support right off the top. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, they're life-threatening situations. This isn't the lower-level stuff. So that's an over 50% reduction right off the top. So literally thousands of people who are not being streamed into that system. The only reason I highlight this, when we get into dialogue about this, we're very much interested in working with our partners. We very much agree that in certain areas we are not the experts. We are the social net, so to speak but we need those people with the expertise to deliver that service, and we've been moving in that direction. Uh, I, I sit on an IECP committee, which is the International Association of Chiefs of Police, and this about two years ago, had an opportunity to talk about this to uh, my peers down largely in the States, and they're like, holy cow, I wish I had that, Yeah, yeah. this, that, and the other thing. So I do want to recognize the leadership of uh, the LIN that actually funded these nurses to work with us. So it doesn't come out of the police budget, comes out of their budget. We supply the officers, but I think this is a really good model. And the province just announced this, both through the Ministry of Health and the Solicitor General, as a template uh, for where to go uh, when we're talking about these things. So the only reason I use it, and I know it's a lengthy answer, as a model for how we wanna do work differently with agencies who do have the expertise, I don't wanna pay for it out of my budget, I think they should pay for it out of their budget, and where we can stream people into service that is not criminal, are not, not pulling into the judicial system, then we'll do that, because that just benefits everybody, and mm-hmm. particularly the client.
0: Hamilton Police Chief Eric Gerd is with us, uh, 900 CHML, the phone number if you want to check in during this town hall, 905-645-3221. Uh, pound 9900. Yeah, I, I, I want to double back on on the mental health uh, capacity for training. I, I would guess there is considerable, and I want to talk about the length of training time also, but I'll leave it on mental health. The mental health training is there for cadets when people go to police college. I want to know if you can tell me what kind of ongoing work. And and we all do this, right? Teachers get a job and and there's there's constant PA days and training and you learn new things. Radio, you're going to have critiques, learn new techniques. Everybody in every industry is learning when they're on the job, but they did qualify to get there. What kind of mental health work, workshops, uh, emphasis on you know new techniques for handling those kind of calls happens after someone becomes a police officer
1: it's a great question greg and what i'll go back to is again what's happening in the states are talking about crisis intervention training they call it cit training uh, they're just looking at now mandating that in many uh i'll call them forces down there in the states to do this work well we did that back in 2006. we had an officer who went to a conference and said gee that'd be a great idea so we've implemented that that long ago, the CIT training. Again, you know uh, the work of Terry McGurk uh, working on our COAST program, the awareness about what different mm-hmm. um, you know, mental con- uh, states are, whether it's uh, OCD, bipolar, schizophrenia. Again, we're not clinicians, but you do need awareness around that piece. Uh, the training at the Ontario Police College, Dr. Ron Hoffman uh, was a leader in this, And, you know, our transfer when we uh, actually apprehend people, uh, he worked on a form where fundamentally uh, you speak kind of the same language that you will be speaking to either the nurse uh, at emergency or the clinician. And it's not that it's a descriptive term of what the person was acting like. You know, are they uh, hallucinating? What are they saying specifically? Uh, as opposed to generic description, this becomes more clinical. And again, we're not trying to be clinicians, but we're trying to ease the transition from our agency to medical intervention uh, that is not criminal behaviour. So that work went on at OPC many years ago, and Dr. Ron Hoffman continued to contribute over the course of time. For our specific officers, because we have coast officers, we have mcert using the acronym, Mobile Crisis Rapid Response Team, but I'll use that acronym. mcert mm-hmm. officers that are available out on the street. And we've looked at, uh, you know, the periods of time when they're most in demand and the divisions where they are most in demand. And we've deployed accordingly. So, again, we've done the metrics. We're trying to respond to the need in a responsible manner. Uh, we're working with our partners uh, through Lynn and otherwise and St. Joe's. And, you know, when you see a 50% reduction, to me, that's pretty substantial. When you talk about stigmatization, if, in fact, they're apprehended, and if it's a safety issue, they may have to be handcuffed, you know, that has effect on people. We understand that. So we can reduce it right off the top. That's what we want to do. As we look at the discussions where it's going in the community, uh, it's the same thing. If we don't have to be involved, that's great. If we can stream people out of criminality, that's great. Yeah. Or criminalization of conduct that is not criminal behavior. But because, you know, you only had so many tools back then, uh, you want to look at more progressive tools that do a better intervention. Just quickly off topic, when we look at and I'm not driving and I'm not drawing an analogy here to mental health. I'm saying our approach to youth crime way back when was can we look at precharge diversion? Can we look at restorative justice practices with our counterparts out in the community, we work with a number of agencies externally to say, all right, was there a better intervention for, you know, the theft, the minor level assault, uh, the drug possession, where we can work with kids, um, and we've done the studies on that too. We don't see a high rate of recidivism when we use those tools, and the kids don't start getting inducted into the judicial process. To me, that makes complete sense. Uh, at the time, it was the Young Offenders Act. It turned the Youth Criminal Justice Act. Both yeah. contemplated these dispositions. So the legislations there. In some cases, you just have to use those methods. So those are just two quick examples.
0: All right, I got a, a caller, a couple callers that want to talk, but I want to ask you about the length of training. There are some uh, who have suggested that I've seen former retired cops suggest we could train for longer. What i see right now is to be i'm using Toronto Police Service as an example, you're going 3 weeks of orientation, you go to Elmer for 12 weeks, 9 weeks of more training at the Toronto Police College. That's 24. RCMP is about 26. But there are nations, there are nations in western Europe where you're in you're in school for a year. You're you're not a cop for a year, maybe even 18 months in in some of the Nordic countries. Could we make the case that to get to cover it all, to do all the things, you're you're being asked to do more, and in some cases with less, Chief Gert, is there a case to be made for a lengthier training period to become a police officer?
1: Yeah, so I think the short answer to that is yes, at any time. Um, And again, there's the training component. You talked about experiential learning, too, when you actually go out in the street and deal with these things. So I think you'd have to look at a methodology to say, is the best impact right at the start, is the best impact through delivery over the course of time when you can base it on experiential learning. Uh, You remember that the vast majority of our candidates as well that get hired do have post-secondary education. Often they are degrees, and because we're not just looking at one stream, say, law enforcement training, either colleges or universities, uh, we we hire people with vast skills. It could be chemistry, it could be engineering, It could Mm -hmm. be social work, psychology, um, the humanities. Uh, What that does, in my view, is broaden our skill set for critical thinking, for one. Mm -hmm. And the second part is the specific skill set for whatever the particular issue is. We've also hired people who were formerly uh, mental health nurses and and working in that area who said, you know, maybe I want to be out in the street. So the short answer is yes. Yeah, There are cost issues. The Solgen uh, has that. And, you know, as far as we're concerned... And certainly it's come out in other uh, things. We have block training, which is called where we dedicate a week of training to our frontline members. Uh, But, of course, we have to handle, to your point, many, many topics. And we've tried to imbue uh, those with lived experience quite often to come in and speak about um, what has been the impact, how does it work, what has Mm -hmm. been the effect on them. So uh, short answer is yes. Okay. What the actual looks like, I think uh, we need to be thoughtful about that.
0: Okay, 905-645-3221. John, you're on 900 CHML uh, with the Hamilton Police Chief, Eric Gert. Go ahead, John.
1: Good morning. Good morning, Chief. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm well. I'm going to keep it nice and short. Every organization has successes and failures, largely and overwhelmingly. I say that I love our police service, and I think you and every man and woman that are serving while we're in bed are doing a great job. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate that. And particularly for the men and women who are serving on the front line, I've often said my job is to support that. I'm not doing that same job anymore. I have done it. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it means a lot to me for the frontline members who are at uh, those calls, dealing with those situations, trying to problem solve trying to be empathetic and compassionate and
0: people and treating people
1: with respect. So thanks very
0: much for that. All right, Chief Kurt, hang tight. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Some pressing business, uh, Chief Gert, involves um, an incident that took place in 2019 with Hamilton Police Constable Jeffrey Todoruk. I know you're probably aware of this. There was a decision today um, from uh, HPS that he was found guilty of four of the five charges laid against him, unlawful, unnecessary exercise of authority, two counts of neglective duty, one count of discreditable conduct. He was found not guilty of another count. Um, what can you say about the findings and, and what happens now to the officer?
1: Yeah, so as you know, uh, when we have PSA matters, it goes before a hearing officer, and not to get too technical, uh, but the hearing officer represents me. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the hearing officer speaks uh, for the chief, but also in terms of the disposition and the findings. So, uh, you know, uh, I've been in this call today, so I've not had a chance to look at that yet. But uh, it remains for the hearing officer, as does the disposition. Uh, so uh, I would direct your uh, listeners to read the report itself and uh, the findings of uh, the hearing officer, Peter Lennox.
0: Okay, one follow-up. Is there a lesson of uh, conduct that can be learned or gleaned for uh, future I suppose, future interactions with the media. We've seen a lot of it in the States, a lot of it in Canada. You you guys have had a difficult job to do maintaining order and making sure that everyone is safe, everyone is is doing what they need to be doing when there's large gatherings of people. And there have been a lot in the last month.
1: Yeah, and as you know, as I say, I haven't had a chance to read the decision of the hearing officer, uh, but we always turn our mind to, um, and consistently, how can we do the job better? Were there gaps in policy uh, the conduct issues, which is what the hearing officer speaks to. Uh, so I, I would say, uh, like all the decisions that we get from hearing officers, we'll read them and look at it and see what is applicable or changes we need to make. Um, as you know, uh, or you may not, a couple of years back when I became chief, we actually met with uh, both at the executive level of the local media, but also at the frontline level between our staff surgeons who predominantly deal with reporters So we did kind of a two-pronged approach and really was sitting down and looking at um, how could we work better? What are your needs? What are our needs? What are our restraints? What are your restraints? And been working in tandem since that time with a standing agreement that if it becomes uh, an issue again, then we'll continue on with that. So that offer still stands. uh, But I think when you have that dialogue, particularly understanding uh, what the needs of the media are, Um, and they understand what our particular operational decisions are at the time, I think that's very helpful to how can we achieve the objective. And and i got to tell you, you know, the role of of the media is so important in a constitutional democracy. As you know, it's in Section 2 of the Constitution. It's pivotal because uh, the whole accountability, transparency, what happened, the public's right to know, uh, you know, I think that's very important. Uh, to the legitimacy of any institution, and certainly ours.
0: Okay, I appreciate that, candor, Constable Todorak, the decision there, uh, 117 pages, as the chief mentions. It is available online. All right, um, Pride 2019, there was an independent report put up. This is your first time on the station since it came out. What, uh, I I suppose, like any judgment, uh, we can look and say, well, I, I think that's fair, I'm not sure the other part is. Tell me what's fair about the comments in the report from Scott Bergman.
1: And again, what I'll do is uh remember that we have two reports that were released simultaneously, the OIPRD report and of course uh, Mr. Bergman's report. And what I will speak to is one was obviously an investigative report where they test evidence, get corroboration. Um what I'll and I'm not gonna say it, I'm gonna take Mr. Bergman's words, mm-hmm. which he also did at Board. Um so I cite page fourteen at the top. It says and I'm I'm reading as him, so let's let's make sure that's clear. I gotcha, okay. So this is a systemic review. It was designed to identify systemic issues and make recommendations for change. It was not designed to make findings of misconduct or civil or criminal responsibility, nor am I, and again, this is Mr. Burton, permitted in law to do so. I have made some findings relevant to my recommendations. Although some facts remain in dispute, I found that it was unnecessary to resolve the disputed evidence to identify which issues exist and how they should be addressed. And as you know, uh, we have taken as a service uh, I've offered my apology. We are moving forward with the 38 recommendations and, in fact, have begun uh, a framework that will be presented to the board in September and the reporting requirements in the recommendations at 12 months and 24 months. So, you know, and I've also said you have to be open anytime and that's whether it's whatever the findings are in a coroner's inquest, in a public um, review of things, in uh, more systemic reviews like Justice Lesage when he was looking at uh, the public complaint system. Uh, we all can learn things from this and then it becomes uh, a question of are you going to apply this and what are you going to do? So we have reporting requirements. Uh, the board has spoken to that and um, if you're going to change then you have to be open to listing what the recommendations are, and we're going to do
0: that. Are there suggestions in the independent report um, that you do not agree with, that you find either lack adequate explanation or you just don't think they have a sense as to how things went down at that parade, at that Pride Festival?
1: Yeah, and I think we're beyond that. You, you, You have to look at what the recommendations are. It is a systemic review, um, it is not a factual back and forth. That's why I cite Mr. Bergman's overview right at the start, because he mm-hmm. says that I don't. And uh, the productivity is, and always my intent, can we move forward? Can we make this better? Can we provide better service? This is going to take time. We know that. It is not an overnight. It has required, um, you know, self-examination. It's required uh, the voices of those involved to be involved So, again, you know, if if I just, uh, as a chief, make the edict this is going to happen, I think you do need to listen to people affected with lived experience who will, I hope graciously, work with us towards that end. And we do have a number of uh, people from the community who want to do that work. So I would like to harness that energy. At the end of the day, uh, we would like to make, like we serve and protect. This is a service part, but you have to be open to listening to that.
0: Okay. They, there are obviously, this is pride month. There would have been uh, another pride event. They had to put it online digitally. We've, we've all had to do that. But given that there will be one in 2021, that that's a lot of time for you. That's a lot of time, um, you know, for your police department um, to like, how would I put it? Um, make sure there's a positive and give and take relationship, I suppose, between police and, and the LGBT community. Is there, is there work to do there over the next 12 months or well before that?
1: Oh, definitely. And in fact, uh, when we started in 2020 pre-COVID, we had already started the outreach uh, late last year uh, with the organizers to look at how could we deliver this better? How can we meet the objectives of all involved? Obviously, with uh, COVID timing, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not a great uh, situation where people can't collect as a group in a public place, at least with the limitations we have. Under the CRB, so um, or sorry, EMPCA. We had a lot of acronyms flying around right now. Um, so you know, yes, ton of work to do. I know our community relations coordinator, Jazz uh, Dylan, has already reached out. We'll continue to do that work, and uh, yeah, there's there's lots of work to do on that.
0: All right, we're going to get to Ted in a second. couple others on hold. Nine zero five six four five three two two one. Nine zero five six four five three two two one i'd ask this the court system um i'm not a fan of uh i'm a i support the police i'm not a fan of the court system because i often think and i've lived on both sides of the border i lived in the states for a decade and i see sentences given out for convictions of crimes chief Gert, that i'd say well that seems lenient to where i lived previously so you get conditioned to expect something and oftentimes people are disappointed I, I wonder if you can comment on whether it, it disillusion[s] your officers, it disillusion[s] at all the culture to to put the hard work in to take a dangerous criminal off the street, somebody that could have something to do with with harming children, harming women, whatever it is, and and you find either a they're right back out there or b the courts just give a, a slap on the wrist. What does it do to the um, the you know the moral structure and and the um, how would I put it, the invigoration of doing the job. You want to feel like you're, you're making a difference, and if criminals go right back in through a revolving door of our court system, it, it can't do that, can it?
1: Well, this is certainly not a new discussion, and in terms of our intervention and what our people do, of course, that is, and I'm not abdicating, that is beyond uh, our control the yes. courts, uh, the common law, uh, the judicial findings to the Supreme Court, and so on. Um, when you look at uh, institutional uh, issues at the States or in Canada, and I would say that they are different, you certainly know it from your lived experience, Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, when we're talking about um, racialized groups, and when we're talking about Indigenous representation in the population, uh, uh, there is, relative to our earlier discussion, much work to do upstream uh, where, if it's a systemic issue, it's not just us, um, you know, let's look at something as simple as literacy and some of the studies they've done there. You know, if I can have those skill sets early in life, it may change the outcome down the road. Uh, breakfast programs can kids focus um, or not because they're hungry. These are all elements that we know that will lead to you know alternate dispositions for people. So the upstream funding of those things we're certainly in support of um, relative to defunding us to say okay just do that and Mm -hmm. we'll suddenly see a change i think nobody's saying that they know it is a long-term systemic approach to it the courts um, those are long evolving changes and of course we're governed both by uh, the constitution itself um, common law and Supreme court decisions because once whatever the issue is has gone to that level we have uh, from the legislators and then the judiciary what the interpretation of that will be, and we're bound by that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, this is, and I think where they're going, this requires a lot of wholesale systemic change. I don't disagree with that. Uh, does somebody have, um, and I won't, you know, I'm not being derogatory, a magic solution? I don't think so. Does it require examination, a good thorough look um, to say what is the best approach? I think that discussion is always wise to engage in.
0: Okay. Uh, Everyone who's on hold, hang on. Chief, if you can as well, we'll do one more segment. Calls for the police chief of Hamilton coming up next. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chief Eric Gert spending some time with us. Uh, Let's get to those phones here from the people. Ted, you're on with the police chief of Hamilton, Eric Gert. Ted, go Uh, ahead.
1: Yeah, Thanks for taking my call, Chief Gertz. Um, I have a simple question. Do you consider uh, the Hamilton Police Force... You have systemic racism against uh, racialized communities. And if you do, in what way? I'll hang up and thanks for all your work in the community and your officers. Okay, thanks Ted. And uh, I've spoken to this when I was a deputy in 2006. And the question at the time from Ken Stone at a public meeting was, do you believe there's racism? And I said, yes, Uh, does it mean it's a rampant Uh, That's a different question. In terms of systemic, uh, it's quite um, complex in terms of what that means. So there's institutional systemic, which there have been many studies on that. There's unconscious. There's conscious. So there's a whole range of behaviors. Do we have policies that speak to this? Certainly. One of the things I will tell you that uh, our uh, professional standards branch, if we get any assertion of um, these type of allegations, we take them extremely seriously, but we also know there are sensitivities in terms of the disclosure on those issues. So, for example, the Office of the Independent Police Review Director, the complaint can be registered through them where you're not dealing with the police service um, involved. And, of course, they determine what, who is going to investigate that complaint. So what I would say is if there are any allegations, I would welcome them coming forward And if it has to be an independent, uh, and I don't make the termination, they do, independent investigation, I also support that. Because we do want to root this out. We do want to know if those interactions are happening. So uh, I do take it quite seriously. I think it's extremely important, both for um, transparency and the legitimacy of the organization.
0: Let's keep it moving. Michelle, you're on 900 CHML with Chief Kurt. Go ahead, Michelle.
2: Hello, I'm here.
0: Okay, what's your question for the chief or comment?
2: Uh, okay, uh, good morning, uh, Chief Gert. Um, good morning, Michelle. I just have some com- commentary. <clears throat> so I've sent to my counselor, Maureen Wilson, that I feel that this defund the police is a really worthy conversation for the community to have to take not only uh, a microscope at your institution, but a lot of other institutions in, in the city as well because I don't feel that we can just take money from here, put it over here without dissecting this whole social services network that causes a lot of trauma for people as well, especially those that are really at the bottom of our society. So I feel that I think it would be worthwhile to to have their voices those that have had uh, interactions with Coast and the social navigator to see if those Mm -hmm. interactions have been positive or negative as uh, an assessment tool as to how the community can make changes.
0: Okay, that's good. That's good, good, Michelle. Yeah, Uh, I think uh, we got the gist of it. Thank you for the phone call.
1: Thanks for the question, Michelle. And you may or may not know, we do publish on a yearly basis, and we have done surveys of... um, our clients and customers, both through Social Navigator and Coast, and, of course, they have to be willing to uh, provide those details, and we anonymize uh, their identities, you know, for their benefit. Uh, so that does go on. Relative to the discussion about other agencies, um, and people, your listeners may or may not know, uh, when the Police Service Act was amended, one of the few things that actually got enacted very quickly was the Community Safety Well-Being Plan. And if you read that part of the legislation... It's actually not the police at the centre of it, although we are at the table. It's all the other agencies, uh, whether it's mental health, education, uh, service to uh, youth involved uh, in the judicial system, um, suicide rates. It goes on and on. There's a number of metrics to deliver, but at the table are education, mental health, uh, the hospitals, uh, many, many partners prescribed by law. And again, originally on first inception, it was only a board member, Uh, but now involves uh, a member of our police service as well. And currently Deputy Bergen is sitting on that committee. Uh, Paul Johnson is heading it up through the city because the municipality has responsibility. Back to my earlier comments, I'm all for other people with the technical expertise to do calls that perhaps we should not be doing. But in the interim, we are the social net. So to Michelle's comments where you just cut, um, what happens is that net... Uh, vanishes, But I want to say something else in terms of uh, if we move forward in that direction. Keep in mind that statutorily the police have oversight, we have accountabilities, we have annual reporting, we are governed by a board. Um, there is uh, civil litigation that can flow from decisions and things that happen. If those other service providers take on certain aspects and it doesn't meet the standard of the expectation of what the community wants, uh, if we are out of the picture, then they take on both that risk and liability. So, to Michelle's point, I think it has to be a thoughtful discussion. It's not avoiding it because I do okay. think there are other approaches that will work better. And we've, I mean, I already talked about some of those where we've seen some of that change, that is better for the person. Okay. So whether it's addictions, mental health, and otherwise, there are opportunities.
0: Okay. I, I did want to squeeze one more, and I didn't mean to cut you short there. 45 seconds. Tony, if you can keep it to 45 seconds, that's great. And 45 to 60 on the other side. Uh, chief Kurt, go ahead, Tony. You're on with the chief. Tony, okay, uh, go hello. ahead, man. Hello? Yep, go right ahead. Ask your question.
2: Uh, chief, uh, the uh, pertaining to the Pride uh, rally at Gage Park, the... Uh, There was a a report
1: on the radio saying that the uh, pride community did not uh, trust the police uh, because of their interactions, and they did not want the police uh, patrolling the the park. Uh, So the police just had a couple of officers on the skirts of the uh, park uh, in case uh, an emergency came along. And and then when the uh, fiasco hit between the two groups, then they're blaming the police for uh not reacting fast enough uh
2: but is, is there any f- uh, fact in that the uh pride community said we don't want the police okay. here and then they're blaming the police because they didn't react fast enough Okay
0: thanks Tony
1: So thanks for the question I think you'd have to ask that community itself um, I'm not going to speak for them uh but I think what you need to turn your mind to the listeners is read the two reports mm-hmm. and uh it's been a fairly thorough treatment in both And I think you could draw your conclusions uh, from those. So I would refer you to the reports and read them. I mean, you know, they're about 280 pages in total between the two. Uh, If you really want to know the answer, then you can do that.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's it's essentially in the reports, independent uh, and otherwise. Chief Kurt, thank you so much for the time. I I can only imagine again what you uh, your officers deal with on a daily basis. It's been amplified. There's no question about it. Um, and and I admire the the candor. I admire the the honesty in wanting to uh you know wanting to improve, always wanting to get better. We all should aspire to that. Um, thank you very much for the time today.
1: Yeah, and I will add very quickly: is you know we accepted a responsibility for the report by Mr. Bergman in answer to the previous question. So I think that's an important point.
0: Okay. Thank you, Mary Arch, for making it and spending the time today. You're welcome. Thank you. There's uh, Chief Eric Gert of the Hamilton Police. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.